Short on time? We've got you covered. Welcome to the 5-Minute Torah, where you can digest big thoughts on the weekly Torah portion in about 5 minutes. If you enjoy this teaching, please share it with your family and friends. Parshat Metzora. This week's Torah reading from Leviticus 14.1 through 15.33. The sin of uncleanness. On most years, the portions of Tazria and Metzora are read together. Both of these portions primarily deal with laws surrounding Zara'at, biblical leprosy. Whereas Parshat Tazria focuses almost entirely on diagnosing Zara'at, Parshat Metzora is concerned more about the purification process after a person has been healed from Zara'at. Our Parsha concludes by detailing laws of purity surrounding bodily discharges from both men and women. When one studies portions like these, it seems that the Torah, particularly the book of Leviticus, focuses disproportionately upon these strange and bizarre determinations and rituals. Who cares about the various colors of a skin malady, or the antiquated taboos revolving around bodily functions? Why should anyone trudge through these topics and study them with any detail? The answer to these questions comes at the end of our Parsha. Hashem sums up his reason for these detailed rituals. Thus, you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. Leviticus 15.31 First, the children of Israel are supposed to make a distinction between clean and unclean. It was the responsibility of the Kohanim, the priest, to teach these distinctions. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statues that the Lord has spoken to them by Moshe. Leviticus 10, 10-11 The laws of ritual purity were to be clarified by the Kohanim, and understood by every Israelite to the best of their ability, in order that the children of Israel not remain in their impurity. Once they became ritually unclean, their responsibility was to go through the prescribed rituals to regain ritual purity. As we have seen, some types of ritual impurity were easier to cleanse than others, with corpse contamination being at the top of the list as the most persistent form of ritual impurity. Second, failure to understand these distinctions and laws could have catastrophic results. For clarification, issues of ritual purity were generally unrelated to sin and therefore had no immediate ramifications. Nothing is inherently sinful about becoming ritually unclean. Yeshua and the apostles would have become ritually unclean many times throughout their lives. It was simply a part of life. The problem arises, however, when ritual impurity impinges upon sanctified space. According to God, something is very wrong with this. Bringing ritual impurity into sanctified space is like mixing chlorine with ammonia. It is toxic. Living in a modern society outside of the land of Israel and in a time when the Holy Temple is not functional, most Bible students cannot grasp the gravity of this concept. How does attending a funeral followed by prayer at the temple constitute the death penalty? It just doesn't seem reasonable to us, since no visible difference can be distinguished between one event and the next. But we have to remember that the holy house is the intersection between heaven and earth, between God and man. It is a place unlike any other on the face of the earth. It is the abode of the Holy One, and He established it in order that He might dwell among humans. A holy God cannot abide in profane, that is, common, space. If we remember, every furnishing of the holy temple was sanctified and atoned for before it could be used. 
They had to be purged from the muck of human mortality in order to perform the sacred tasks they were assigned. Therefore, the laws of ritual purity, as outlined in our recent Torah portions, and throughout most of the book of Leviticus, are critical to the proper function of the holy temple. Worshippers would have been educated in these passages and well acquainted with the strictures and penalties of entering God's holy house in a state of ritual impurity. What about today? Do these things have a bearing on us today in a time when we don't have access to the temple? Maybe they should be a reminder of how we come into the divine presence in our times of worship. Whether it is communal or personal prayer time, congregational worship, or study of the Holy Scriptures, we should seriously consider the state in which we are approaching a God who is holy, holy. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's Isaiah 57, 15. Parshat Mitzorah should be a clear reminder that he is not like us. Yes, we are made in his image, but he is not mortal and should not be approached in the same manner as any other being, but on his terms and his terms alone. Are you enjoying the 5-Minute Torah Podcast? Want to share these 5 minutes of Torah with others? Please help spread the word by liking, sharing, and reviewing this podcast. You can also grab the printed version of Volume 1 or Volume 2 from Amazon. Perfect as a gift or for your Shabbat table. 5-Minute Torah. We've got you covered.